tremendous challenges and opportunities exist right now for our nation's water infrastructure. In this podcast, the industry's top leaders and innovative minds share their knowledge and insights for ensuring our water systems are operating safely and efficiently. These discussions are designed to motivate and create vibrant 21st century water systems and the innovative workforce required to lead and operate them. This is 21st Century Water with your host, Aquasite founder and CEO, Mahesh Lunani. I'm with Michael Johnson, General Manager, Birmingham Waterworks, Birmingham, Alabama. Before taking on this role, Michael spent 10 years in the finance and administration at uh, Birmingham Waterworks. Prior to this, he was the Director of Finance for the City of Birmingham, Alabama, and in private sector as an accounting partner, and retired as an officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. So we have a very highly accomplished guest that has a military, private, and public service experience. And I think we are going to have a very interesting perspective on water and what this means to the communities. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me, Mahesh. Well, I look forward to it. I'll get right down to it. Military to private to public service now. What's commonality? What are the differences? Um, as in any organization, strong competent leadership is required. And that's something that you will find no matter what organization you're in. Uh, to be successful, you have got to have strong leadership. And I think the big difference is uh, in dealing with people in the military, uh, you tend to be a little bit more, I guess, uh, forceful in, in how you can get things accomplished. Not as much interaction, although uh, interaction is required. In the private sector, in dealing with people, you have to be a little bit more sensitive to each individual's needs. Uh, not to say that that's not important in the military. Uh, however, because of the mission and what the intent is, it's uh, not as much uh, collaboration, especially with between senior leaders and, and, and junior individuals. It's more execution based on in prior instruction uh, with uh, the goal of accomplishing whatever that mission might be. It's fascinating. You went from serving country to serving your clients, and now you're serving community in your current role. But let me talk about Birmingham, Alabama. Clearly, it has some unique challenges as it pertains to water. Can you kind of describe what those challenges are within your region? And first of all, we're a very large system. Uh, we're in a five-county area, and... If you've ever been to Birmingham or have some knowledge of it, it's a very, I guess, mountainous area. Not huge mountains, but we're at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountain. So the service area is one where it's difficult to distribute or pump water throughout our uh, service area. We transport water from as far as 40 plus miles away. And so uh, you can imagine us in the water industry when you have a situation like this, you're using quite a few pumps throughout the system, quite a few water tanks uh, that are distributed throughout the area. So it just makes it challenging. Uh, and especially with us, uh, we are an old utility uh, with quite a few pipes to maintain. Yeah, no pressure. Then you have a dissatisfied customer, isn't it? Uh, that's right. What is the most satisfying part of this role, being a general manager, which is de facto CEO, right? of this uh, entity? I've had uh, some tremendous opportunities uh, in, in my career. 
And this has to be, I guess, kind of a crowning jewel, as you would say, in that I've got the opportunity to lead an executive team. What's been most satisfying with that is we've been able to execute plans based on what we've needed to do. And that's been especially important as we've dealt with COVID-19 and to see our employees uh, and also mid-level managers respond the way we need them to respond uh, has been satisfying because the most important thing we do is deliver quality water uh, and to get the kind of cooperation and focus to do that. And then especially in the midst of COVID-19 has been very rewarding for me as the leader here at the Birmingham Waterworks Board. True, right? I mean, um, the pandemic has, in many cases, brought the best out of us, out of our teams, and perhaps also about the innovations we can do, you know, with this vaccination programs and you name it, so many other things we did, how to virtually operate and so on. So just deviating a little bit, have you seen innovations in how you run your operations, your business? as a result of COVID? I think one of the most significant observations is that we've had a significant number of our employees that worked from home. And as we transition to bringing employees back to work, uh, we've found that there are some positions where there is an opportunity for them to work from home. Uh, And so we're evaluating the positions where we want to allow the individuals to continually work from home. And when you think about that, the question is, as well, do we need some of the uh, office space that we have? What cost savings would we have? And in addition to that, how it benefits an employee to be able to work from home. That's the one that's been readily apparent to us again, and that is the ability for some employees to work from home. Yeah, it's a fascinating shift, isn't it? I mean, it's forced us to think how work gets done remotely. Yes. Well, I'm curious, though, a little bit deeper into that. I'm curious, and I know you're still evaluating this, but what percentage of utility work you believe can be done remotely? If I were to just ask you a ballpark. And I'll address that in terms of employees, because I see how just knowing the particular areas where we've discussed that uh, and that it being applicable to those areas. You know, we've got uh, a little over 600 employees and probably somewhere around 5% of those could potentially work from home consistently and maybe another 5% intermittently uh, work from home. So all told, we probably got about 60, 70 employees that could potentially work from home either permanently or on a part-time basis. And I'll tell you this, one of the things I think I mentioned it uh, benefits the employee for morale purposes, having some flexibility there because what we found too with COVID-19 and employees and how it impacted their families with uh, kids that may be in daycare or uh, just a whole myriad of issues associated with child care that could potentially be helped if some of our employees were able to work from home, either uh, some permanently uh, or maybe some intermittently. You could drive an excellent work-life balance for some people as well as a result of it. Listen, I want to get back to your system. And you alluded this earlier, that you have a very large system serving about 600,000 and plus residents, 200,000 connections across five counties, 750 square miles. And it's a live system. Like as we speak, right, 
water is being pumped, used, treatment is going on. So there is no, as I said earlier, no dull moment in my previous podcast, right? It's, it's happening. What are the challenges that come with it? In, you know, in your own previous background in military, in many respects, you always have to be on your toes, right? That's it. That's just the way you've been trained in that role, presumably. I can't speak to that. But that is, in this role, you have to be on your toes. So tell me how you deal with this day to day. Well, I will say, and this is as I comment on the military, and incidentally, uh, my time was active duty and reserve. I was a logistician, and that is one of the most important jobs in any military service. Uh, And with that, I've benefited from learning setting up base camps, which includes setting up water systems to serve those that are in base camps, uh, facilities. And so that logistics and the thinking that goes behind that has really been beneficial to me. And when you think about our system, I always um, tell individuals that you got to have some savvy in working in the water industry because uh, it's not like what the textbook uh, might write about engineering or what it might write about accounting or IT. And so with our large service area that you've described, we have significant number of transmission lines that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we pump water from over 40 miles away. A uh, vast pumping system that supports uh, our distribution of raw water and fresh water to our customers. Uh, our water sources, we have four large intakes distributed throughout our system, four large treatment facilities. Uh, you can imagine with over 4,000 miles of pipe, uh, the number of repairs that we have to do on an annual basis. Uh, and then we've got aging infrastructure here. This system is way over 100 years old in some parts. We've got pipe that is over 120 years old in some cases. And so you couple that with the maintenance cost to, to maintain this huge system. And uh, on top of that, controlling, uh, wanting to control water rates. Uh, you can imagine some of the challenges that you face when you kind of mix all of that together. You know, I like the parallel that you were a logistician in the military space. In many respects, you can look at the water network as logistics of moving the water from point A to point B. Exactly. And the facilities that come with it. Uh, it's very fascinating. But the only one difference, though, is you are constrained by the rates in the community. Militarily, you're probably a little less constrained, right? Yeah. You still have a budget, but less constrained, right? Yeah, that's right. You're always looking for the right resources to be able to accomplish whatever that mission is. And we're fortunate here in this country that our military is funded well, uh, and you've got a lot of great planners and tacticians out there that know uh, what's needed to win a battle. Right. You talked about budget. I'm just curious a little bit. What's your water O&M budget and what's your capital expenses on an annual basis, approximately? So our O&M budget, uh, right around $108 million. A capital budget, around uh, $80 million. Now, when the $100 million, that does not include what our revenue projections are. Our revenue projections are a little over $200 million. Uh, and that $100 million is mainly just our operating expenses. It uh, doesn't include debt service and it doesn't include what we contribute to our reserves. Got it. So $200 million revenues, $108 million approximately O&M expense. 
and about $80 million of capital budget or less. Yes. Actually, this relates excellently to the next question. Anything in the water you think in five-year, 10-year horizons, what are your investments that you plan to make in the next five years? What is related to just fixing what you have versus building something you know, for long-term? Where are your investments going in the next five years? So to answer those two questions specifically, we intend to spend about $80 million a year on our capital program. One of the significant or a couple of the significant expenditures in that, or actually three, $30 million a year uh, replacing infrastructure, another 15 plus million. We're looking at estimates now on building a new treatment laboratory. And we have plans to uh, replace or repair one of our dams. That's probably going to cost around $35, $40 million. So those are the big capital projects that we have planned. But I would say there are several other projects or goals that we have, and we're developing tactics to be able to accomplish those. There's seven of them, but I'm going to focus on six of them. Product quality is always important to us. Uh, and that goes hand in hand with what we do with our pipeline replacement, because you, you have to remove and replace old pipe so that you can consistently pump quality water through our distribution system. Watershed protection is important to us in the product quality area, as well as continuing to look at water treatment alternatives that will help us become more effective and efficient at treating water long-term. Customer satisfaction is important to us. What we want to do there is make sure uh, that we are communicating to our customers. And, and one goal is to be proactive in communicating to our customers, which would include being able to you know, use data to anticipate where customer problems might be in customers. You know, you, you look at their bills, and that's one of the things that, that they're really focused on. So we want to try to get intelligence to be able to inform them more about what's going on uh, with their consumption. Workforce development is, is very important to us. What we're finding here, uh, and it's always been a challenge in the water industry, is keeping good qualified professionals. We've got a succession plan in place to be able to replace or identify potential leaders. Um, we have what's called an on-the-job training program where uh, we're looking at training individuals within the utility in certain areas, certain key areas. Uh, we have a water apprenticeship program where we're looking at high school students. We think it's important to introduce those students to the water industry early on so they can see it as a viable career because what we find is that the water industry is not an industry where many consider as a career. And because it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, it's not commonplace other than turning the tap on. And so we feel like uh, in addition to the training, awareness uh, would be enhanced through all of our programs. And you know, we want to leverage the local colleges potentially, much like what the automobile industry does in certain areas, uh, have trade schools. We want to potentially add our logo to some of, some of these schools, uh, local junior colleges or others, uh, and learn more about water or where they can teach so that we can have more water curriculum out there for those who may be interested in the uh, 
in the water industry. Infrastructure stability is important. That's where our pipeline replacement program comes into play um, because, again, we have to get old pipe out of the ground uh, to control, help control water quality and to help with non-revenue water uh, that occurs when you've got leaky pipes. And those are, again, the six areas that we're focused on right now. I guess I would say there's not much to do, Michael. Okay. That's all. That's a handful. <laughs> it's con- continuous. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it. And I actually really like the comment you made that, you know, how do you attract next generation workforce for this industry when they consider other industries to be a lot more rewarding, attractive, you know, et cetera. And I think that's a real challenge for the leadership in the water sector. Yes. Towards the end of it, I do want to come to that point a little bit more. But I want to ask a question. If you look at the three key areas in your uh, infrastructure, the watershed management, which you're very active in managing it, like what you talked about for dams and water quality. Then the treatment itself, which you discuss, you want to upgrade the labs and upgrade the treatment process. And then the distribution management, which you talked about, you have up to 40, 50 miles, you got to put that you know, water out. Where do you see the most challenges at the moment occurring in these three areas within that cycle in which you operate? The largest challenge, uh, Mahesh, is in our distribution system with the aging pipe. Uh, right now, we've got about $785 million that we could spend to replace galvanized uh, steel pipe, online cast iron pipe, and service lines throughout our area. Uh, and you can imagine, you know, just spending $30 million a year right now, uh, how long it would take to do that. Yeah. It's just very difficult. So that would be our number one challenge. And along with that, if we can get more of this aging pipe out of the ground, it controls uh, our non-revenue water. Uh, as well as uh, chemical costs would go down because you're not having to treat as much. And also uh, your pumpage costs right. uh, would potentially go down and also labor costs if you're not having as many links. So that's the number one goal, and that is to uh, replace this this old pipe or the number one challenge uh, amongst those that you just mentioned. How big is the non-revenue water? Uh, is there an estimate made by your team? Non-revenue water uh, for us is, is probably in the 40-plus percentage range. It's quite significant. That explains why you want to target it and the energy costs and chemical costs that would get reduced as a result of it, and especially for an O&M budget of $108, $110 million. Yes. That's quite sizable. I want to kind of ask you a personal question a little bit because I want to mix it between what you do in your role versus what your infrastructure looks like. As a general manager, where do you spend your time? Is it residence? Is it finance? Is it operations? Is it planning? I'm just curious. I want the audience and even myself want to put ourselves in your shoes and understand how you're distributing your time. So uh, I gave this quite a bit of thought. It's it's all of the above. And we are a very lean utility. And we've always tried to balance labor cost with our day-to-day activities, which are a significant driver of our cost here. Probably 55% of our budget is labor cost and our water rates. And so we're very careful about 
hiring additional employees and controlling our labor costs. And so our senior leaders here, even and up to me as a general manager, do spend time with residents in some cases. I may get a call. And then also our culture here, and, and this is in our five county area, and specifically most of our customers are in the Birmingham area there. We have a lot of needy customers and we're constantly uh, working through issues from time to time with customers. So I do spend some time with customers, although I do hand that off. Uh, finance, you know, I spend quite a bit of time there because we all know that we're always making budgetary decisions and you always have more needs than you have uh, money. And of course, operations is very important to us. You know, it's never a dull moment in the water industry. And as challenges arise, you know, I need to be aware of what hot buttons we may have going on at one point because those hot buttons directly affect customers who are calling their various city councilmen and women uh, or mayors and so forth. And so uh, I need to be aware of what's going on there. And believe me, with a, a utility our size, uh, we've always got something going on. And with regard to planning, we're right in the middle of a strategic planning session right now. We've spent many hours developing our strategic plan and working with our board of directors and with our senior leaders here, as well as managers and certain other key technical experts within the utility. So again, I spend quite a bit of my time in each one of these areas, and I've not, not done the math on it, but I'll tell you, and these kind of touch each other significantly, but all of us here are kind of uh, all over the place when it, when it comes to whether we spend our time with residents, finance, operations, planning. From time to time, we do go out to neighborhoods and make presentations around whatever issue the customers may have, but we try to make a presentation and go with what I like to say is a, a mini utility. We mobilize and go there with a complete footprint of what Birmingham Waterworks Board is so that if a customer asks a question about uh, water treatment, if they ask a question about leak repair, their account, uh, if they want to know something about budget, things like that, we can answer all those questions. So we mobilize our utility on a smaller scale to be able to answer those questions. And when we do that, uh, we have quite a bit of success at helping the customer understand uh, what we do and why we do it. And again, with uh, I always toward helping them understand why things cost what they cost and you know why we have to have a rate increase from time to time. Right. A lot of education learning, for sure. Yes. What I gather is you got multiple hats on and depending on the hour of the day or day of the week or the week of the month, you got to put those different hats on. Hey, listen, I when I was preparing for this, Michael, I watched a short video, and you talked about local economy. So I want to ask a question. How are you using water as an instrument or asset to drive your local economy? So we are members of the Birmingham Business Alliance here. And with that membership, we work with the gas company, the electric utility here to help ensure that when businesses want to locate here or expand, that we readily know where our water lines are, where they may be able to get the service uh, that they need. So that's number one, helping the business community get the utilities that they need. 
The other one is that we have a in that budget uh, of uh, over 100 million in operating expenses, over 80 million in capital expenditures. We leverage what we spend to engage all local businesses and, and particularly historically underutilized businesses to allow them to be able to do business with us. And when we do business with over 100 historically underutilized businesses, whether it be black female, black male, women-owned businesses, we do business with them. Uh, And what that does for us is it enhances the community. So as businesses thrive, so does the community thrive. You have a better quality of life, educational system, uh, benefits from it. And one really, really significant asset to our community when you do partner is that Standard & Poor's and Moody's in their evaluation of the community and your ability to repay bonds, they want to know how sustainable your community is because that drives the ability to support bond issues long term. And so we feel like uh, on the scorecard measure that we are graded on when it comes to bond rating, we want to always get a good score there. And we want to educate those that we deal with in the community, the public officials, all the Birmingham business. We want to partner so that we're doing our share in helping to maintain our community or help drive the economy in our community so that we do have a viable community uh, that's sustainable long term. Excellent. And I like the way how you connected your O&M budget, capital budget, and putting it back into local businesses and then connecting it to the bond rating and the bond scorecard. Uh, It's just one wholesome view of the world. Yes. Listen, lead is on everyone's mind, Michael, and I'm sure it's not escaping yours. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your lead replacement programs, how many lines you have, how long it's going to take. Just give a high-level 30,000-foot view of what's going on. So, you know, we think right now there may be, maybe, and I say maybe because we're not 100% sure because, you know, some of these records date back some time ago, but we do know the period of time when lead was used. You know, we think there may be somewhere around 16,000 or so, but the way we replace those is as we replace infrastructure, we replace those lead service lines. Now, the customer is responsible for their side of the meter, as we call it. And in addition to that, uh, we test every year uh, or sample every year as part of compliance uh, with uh, the regulations to see if you know we discover lead service lines within our test. And if we do, uh, we do replace those. Now, we do have a lead inventory that we've placed on our website. Uh, And there's a tool that our customers can go to and uh, enter their information and determine whether there's a possibility that they may have a lead service line. But we are continuing to look in that area. You know, as regulations come down the pipe, we do want to be in position to continue to comply with those regulations. But that's really what our program consists of. Okay, excellent. Well, you know, 16,000 lines uh, isn't as big as some other communities that has 100,000, 200,000 lines. So in many respects, you have a less of a problem to deal with. Right. I want to talk about equity. 
Um, equity is a very important topic. The water affordability is a big element to it. Do you have an equity program? How are you handling it? And how are the residents reacting to the program you're deploying? So what's very important to us is let's talk about rates first. We establish our rates, of course, we need to capture cost of service. But one of the most important things we do, though, is we have what we call a lifeline rate. And that rate is a lower rate for those customers who may use, you know, say less than three CCFs of water. Uh, thereabouts in that lower range. And so we try to make sure that we're sensitive to those who uh, may use less than three CCFs of water. And those may be your senior citizens. Uh, those may be your households where there are a very minimum number of people in the household. Uh, and so that's one thing that we do. The other thing that that we are conscious of is we're very lean in our budget uh, and we want to make sure that we're controlling our rates. And with regard to our pipeline replacement program and the work that we do, we want to make sure that as we select projects, pipe for replacement, that we continue to use a measured process where we look at the age of the pipe, the number of breaks we have, and we service those communities that need repairs. And we're not haphazard about what we do. So those are the two key areas rate setting, and then work that we do uh, in these particular communities to make sure that we're fair and have a measured approach to the repairs that we do. Yeah. No, this is such an important topic because um, if you read any study in the last 30, 40 years, we've seen a huge separation between the haves and have-nots in the country. And I think we have to find a way to ensure water is affordable, even those that are at the bottom of that pyramid. So uh, I think there's real value for that program. I want to talk about workforce. You know, this is a technical infrastructure. It's a complex engineered system. So the knowledge is critical. But we also know that a lot of people are retiring from this. How are you handling knowledge management and be able to ensure a smooth transition from what is presumably a silver tsunami moment for this sector so that services continue water quality is at high level, and the system works perfectly. So we focused, um, I guess a couple of years ago, specifically focused, and we had some focus in the past, but we, as we started to look at retirements and so forth, we developed a formal succession plan uh, a couple of years ago. And we started looking at managers who would retire within a couple of months. And we selected individuals within those particular departments who were interested, um, superintendents who were interested, and we put them through a structured leadership program to prepare them if they were interested in taking on some of those positions. Uh, we expanded that program effective this year to where we've got probably 25 or so individuals in a succession plan. Uh, it includes uh, individuals who uh, may be supervisors now, some who may not. And that is a program that will prepare them not only for uh, some of them for management positions, but it will prepare them for mid-level positions, supervisor, superintendent positions within the company. Uh, and then the other thing that we have here is we have a training program 
that's been recognized by Training Magazine as being one of the tops in the country. And included in that program are several different courses of study or programs where we target specific individuals. For instance, uh, we target first-line supervisors. We target those with a different program. We target those who may want to be leaders with a different program. So we've got comprehensive training that we're conducting uh, that's designed to reach individuals who are interested in leadership positions, but at the same time, teach those individuals within the company um, skills that are needed in various positions within the company. Oh, excellent. Sounds like succession planning and training is a couple of uh, really hallmarks of how you're trying to tackle this knowledge loss through retirements. As we begin to wrap up this discussion, which uh, I'm enjoying every moment of it, Michael, with you. Uh, I want to ask a couple of questions. Um, first, what future water technologies are you most excited about? So we implemented SAP several years ago. And what we've embraced is we need to be able to use the data, tremendous amount of data that's captured in SAP. So what I challenged our staff to do is to focus on developing our dashboard reporting in a way that we could benchmark ourselves against other utilities as part of AWWA's benchmarking program, but at the same time, develop key performance indicators, performance measures that would allow us to better manage the utility because it's very difficult if you don't have data uh, in a utility our size to be able to determine where you may be efficient or not, where you're being effective or not. And so utilizing or continuing to develop our dashboard reporting has been something that we're, we focus on. That's a big objective this year. We're right in the middle of that. And the end state there is if we can develop the dashboard report, and we think that uh, it'll give us an opportunity to the better define where uh, we want to focus our efforts when measures are not where we think they should be. Uh, it allows you to look at processes and procedures uh, that you know affect a particular measure. And one other thing that we did, and it supplements our budget process in that we now prepare a budget in accordance with GFOA standards. And those budgets include key performance measures for each of the departments and all of the functions and activities that take place in these departments. And we want to, again, be able to use that dashboard reporting to be able to evaluate our operations. And then our customers are able to review some of this information in our budget book. They know where we're spending money. And as you may know, those budget books really tell a story of your utility and, and where you are spending the money based on what the functions are within utility. So, again, the dashboard reporting and enhancing our capabilities to use the data that's captured in SAP uh, is where we're focused from a technology standpoint. I couldn't agree more, Michael, personally, uh, on unrelated to the 21st century. I live by the data. We are taking advantage of terabytes of data that utilities are creating every day. And there's unbelievable things you can mine out of it. 
in ways that allows you to understand the state of your operations, what needles you want to move. So certainly, it's a really important topic for this utility. I'm so glad to see you actually putting so much emphasis on it within your own utility. I want to wrap up with the last question of the day. And you alluded to this, that the sector is not, for the lack of a better word, exciting or sexy enough for the next generation workforce. Having two kids, myself, you know, they would rather be on the coastal areas working on the high tech, finance, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, besides, you know, engaging in local communities, is there something you have a guidance or some inspirational moments you can share that would create the aha moment for the next generation workforce saying, this is the reason why I want to do this. I want to work here. What's your take on it? You know, water is vital to life. Uh, You can't live without water. So a person that comes into this industry right away, I think, should think about the importance of working in a water utility. Number one, you're helping people providing a service, providing something that's vital to life. The other one is stability in the industry. Uh, It's a stable industry. Again, water is vital to life. We're always going to need water. And one of the things that excites me about the industry as well is I call it a big science project. Mm -hmm. I loved science when I was uh, in school. And we have some of the most beautiful water treatment facilities, uh, distribution facilities, our water intakes. It's really a stimulating environment to work. And in our utility, and I'm sure this is true in others, when someone comes to work here, you know, we always listen to what they may have to say about recommendations and doing things. I can think of two or three instances where employees uh, recommended certain changes or designed certain apparatuses that we use at some of the facilities because some of the things that are materials or equipment that we need is not something that that's manufactured. It takes something that someone may say, hey, let me, I know how to configure something that will help us uh, strain the water before it goes into the intake or something similar to that. And so uh, it's an opportunity to to stretch your brain, to be valued. And uh, long term, it's a great industry to work in. And again, uh, we're delivering something that everyone needs and uh, it's vital to life, uh, vital to health and safety. And there has to be some enjoyment from being able to do that and do it successfully. And we've seen that with COVID-19. You know, I've been so proud of our employees as they work and uh, helped us deliver quality water to our customers. And we haven't had any hiccups during COVID-19. Uh, and our customers out there have been able to turn the tap on and, and wash their hands and, and do whatever else needed to be done in order to help control the virus. And so, again, very, very important job that serves the community and serves the environment. Well, excellent. Uh, Michael, uh, first of all, I have to tell that your background is fascinating to me. The work you're doing and the challenges you're trying to address is exciting. And the comments you made for the next generation workforce is inspiring and motivating. 
So with that, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Michael, and uh, I'm uh, excited that you could be part of this discussion. Uh, I want to thank you personally. Okay, Mahesh. Join host and Aquasite founder and CEO Mahesh Lunani again next month for another episode of 21st Century Water. Subscribe for free in Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher. Produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts.